Artists Worldwide. Welcome everybody to the room. Like I said, this is a conversation about The Last Dance, the exciting 10-part special on the incredible two-times three-peat of the 90s Chicago Bulls, arguably the greatest era in the history of not just basketball, but sports. A um, couple, uh, couple ground rules for the room. Number one, if you didn't live through the 90s, you got to go. Number two... <laughs> Number <laughs> number two, uh, this is all about the basketball of that era. There's no there's no comparisons about LeBron or Kobe or anybody else. Yeah, like we're not here to talk about that. This is just about the last dance, the '90s Bulls, all the teams they played against. As you can see, I got my Knicks hat on because you know I'm a New Yorker, um, and and and. Uh, pretty much fan, you know what I mean, fans, the fans and the crowds, you don't have to be a Bulls fan, just like generally a sports fan, a basketball fan, a competition fan, this is The Last Dance, welcome everybody, I'm your boy The Dandy, we got Big Heath, my co-host with me as always, what's cracking brother? Hey, I'm excited about this man, um, you know, I love the live broadcast when we have these shows. So we want to start off like this, uh, with number one, the doc, you know, how long has this been in the works, Heath? Do you know? It appears that, you know, Jason uh, Hire, Hare, yeah. he started, um, you know, that year. But he had to get footage. I mean, when you see Michael Jordan ride on a bike in North Carolina, he had to go get footage. Maybe, I'm not sure if it's stock footage from the university or, you know, I don't know where he got that. But um, he had to go back. He had to go back pretty far. And then also he had to get... Um, I guess, clearance or licensing from over 40 different outlets. Wow. So this was a pretty uh, intensive and expensive uh, documentary. It's yeah. paying dividends, of course. But. Yes, yes. Yeah. Heavy, man. And um, uh, I heard today that Adam Silver, um, the, cu the, current, the current chairman, um, you know, the NBA, I'm uh, sorry, commissioner of the NBA, uh, he was he was the um, head of uh, head of like media back then for the NBA, and he's the one that thought it would be a good idea for cameras to follow them the whole time. So uh, yeah, shout yeah. out or shout out to Adam Silver, man. That's 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 some forward thinking right there. Yeah, he's he's always been innovative. He's always been behind uh, some of the marketing and branding, and um, he was sort of trying to get David Stern to uh, understand the players more you know, when they were having some issues with Stern. So, man, my, you know, and, and you guys can, um, we can unmute you and, 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 and uh, you know, you guys can give, your, uh, give us your feedback. Uh, my first question is, is to, you know, the crowd, did it exceed the hype and expectations? For me, it did. Um, I didn't know what, I didn't, I didn't know it was going to be this, you know, polarizing to everyone around the world. Who, who can respond to that? Hey, how you guys doing? Uh, by the way, Dandy, I don't know if you know, I'm a big time Knicks fan too. My man! Yeah. Yes, I know. We, we, we're struggling. And it's tough, but, you know, Bro. it's gonna, there's some better days ahead. But, um, no, hey, everybody, I'm Emmy. Uh, I'm out here in Dubai. Um, yeah, my, my initial reaction to it was just like, I was, I was like, 
addicted. Like, I couldn't stop watching. Like I would hit Heath and be like, "Yo, man, what episode are you on? Have you watched it? Have you watched it?" Because uh, actually, this when the first they dropped the first two episodes, and one of my boys back home in Vancouver found like he's always the plug. He can always get you some pay per view or some bootleg stuff. So he sent me a link. So I know it was like blasphemy or whatever, but I watched like episode three and four and five like the same day episode one and two came out. But I felt kind of like guilty and bad, but I was just like, come on, man. It's like you're having like Willy Wonka's golden ticket and not cashing it in. So, I, you know, I was ahead and I was just like, just watching this out, it just sort of took me back to my childhood. Like I was like, a, I was a teenager in the, you know, I was just, how old was I at the time? 15, 16. When, you know, when they won number six, when all this was going on. So it really took me back to when I really, really started, like, falling in love and, with basketball when I was about 14, 15. So wow. that was my initial reaction to it. You know, I always talk to Emmy about hip-hop and how it hit me. Tracy, you too. Hip-hop hit us 13, 14, 12, 13, 14. And we just was like, we were doing cartwheels. We didn't, you know, it was the first time. How it could hit you, Emmy, as a 15-year-old, this, this Michael Jordan guy, because he's doing stuff people haven't seen yet. Dr. J did some stuff, but Michael Jordan did things in games, won games, had highlights that we've seen for the first time. And if it's something you've seen for the first time, it's always mesmerizing. Right. And I, yeah. I mean, for me, um, like, I was born in, like, 82. So I was, like, eight or nine when they started winning the first championships. And I wasn't really, like, a huge basketball fan in like 91 I was still I, mean, I grew up in Canada I was still playing like street hockey and, and soccer those are like my main sports that I really love playing but I, was still going, I was still going hoop and you know play ball here and there but by the time uh like the second three-peat came around you know 96 97 98 is when like it was just pretty much I said okay I'm just gonna play just hoop that, that's that's what that's all it was for me by that point so Hey Emmy, Emmy, yeah, I don't know, I don't know if um, I don't know if uh, the brother uh, uh, Hassan uh, actually meant to clear his throat during that part, but you said playing street hockey, and he said, <laughs> <laughs> "That was funny." I know, I know. I mean, that's just sort of what, that's just what it was. I mean, we played everything, you know. Unintended uh, consequence. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Hey, man. my brother, what's up? Hey. What's going on, brother? I, I would like I would like for brother Hassan also to give his uh, his thoughts. Did it did it exceed your expectations? Was it what did you expect it? Uh, did it take you back? What are your first reactions to the uh, the ten part series? The crowd reaction. I, I loved it. I mean, I actually, uh, I thought they kind of glossed over some of the reality of a. Uh, his life, man, I really do. Like, I think that there's just some stuff that's popping off in his personal life that they kind of glossed over that would have been just more real in terms of um, who he was as a person on and off the mm -hmm. court. Um, but I like the way they covered the relationships. I like the way they went into um, some of the supporting casts, uh, personal stories. I think what hit me the other day was um, when uh, Kerr's dad got murdered in Lebanon. I, and I saw that, man, and that just hit me so hard. I was like, wow, man, like everybody was going through something. Yeah. And they still managed to come together and be like a, a team in so many ways and have to put their stuff aside and just gel, make it happen. But um, I think the one word that I could walk away with regarding uh, Jordan is I, I, see, I see him as a bully in many ways, too. He definitely was driven, but I seen that he, he, he had some real hardcore bullying behavior towards his teammates. But overall, I thought it was good. It was selective bullying, though. 
I think I think that uh, you know we don't hear about Michael Jordan bullying Bill Cartwright or you know even Horace. We don't you know he did bully Horace. You know Horace admitted it and said and said and said one day like you know he like actually physically hit him and what have you. Um, and and oh. like he had to hold himself back from like from like you know charging back at him or what have you. So uh, okay. look, I think you're right about the selective bullying, sure. Um, but like he said, you know, and like he got a bit uh, teary-eyed and emotional during that point. He said, "Look, that's just how I played. I played at the highest level, and if you don't want to play that way, then you know it is what it is." I want to also respond to uh, Brother Hassan said. Let me sp- uh, respond to Brother Hassan as well about some, leaving some of the things out. Um, right. Some of the reaction was uh, the fact that this was not a documentary. It was because it was EP sort of quasi by Michael Jordan. He, he, he gave the okay on what was going to be in and what was going to be omitted. So um, that's probably why we didn't see everything or Jason couldn't delve into everything. As well, uh, what, what things were left out, do you think, that, that like had to do with uh, – affecting his 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 basketball because for instance like his father his father's passing that affected his basketball you know um i thought those things were included like the like the whole gambling story uh in new york you know that affected his basketball like per se but i think maybe something like his personal life family wise maybe the wife etc did that really affect the basketball was that important to the story of the last dance because remember this is not just a michael jordan documentary it's about the last dance I think for me personally, man, just, you know, living through that, that time period and just hearing all the things that you hear, because it was talked about. It wasn't like it wasn't in the media, you know, the accusations of him having, you know, side ladies and children and all sort of stuff. I mean, that type of stuff could have impacted a lot of different things as well. I mean, I don't know, but it wasn't really gone into. So I, I, I just think that, um, you know, in many ways, I just like to kind of see the full story and just hear his side, you know, because I think sometimes that's left out, you know, because um, yeah. a lot of what was, a lot of what was put out there was just kind of like it was just it was a scandalous stuff. But, you know, he a lot like there was a part in the series where he said that sometimes, you know, you just get tired of trying to defend yourself and explain yourself to people, which I get, you know, but I would have loved for him to be able to kind of put some of that stuff to rest, you know. Yo, can you imagine? Can you, you know, imagine Michael uh, Jordan addressing side chicks? No way. <laughs> not side well, chicks, but the way people presented it, man. I mean, it's that a lot of it, a lot of it was just dirty and grimy, yeah. you know. Now, the one thing that uh, Marlon and I talked about off air was uh, the that part of his life. I mean, even though it probably, you know, we we know that it stretched through his career, um, the drama with uh, Juanita, the private investigator, and the women was in 2003. So this is along the time that he was either with the Wizards or about to retire from the Wizards uh, for a third time. Um, I say that to say, or for a second time, I say that to say, uh, Mike, this, like like Dandy said, this documentary, although it was about the Bulls, it, it was actually up until 98. Because a lot of the cheating and side women and stuff was was too, in the two thousands, early two thousands. So, and like you said, I don't think 
that Michael would even allow that in there anyway. Because he had, he, he literally, um, Jason was surprised that he allowed a lot of those, th a lot of things that we saw in there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think, um, oh God, there were was, was so many things. It was like three things that Jason said that he was very surprised that Michael allowed. I think it was the gambling and the allegations about his father and things like that. Yeah, and then Horace Grant and then Isaiah. Yeah, there was a couple of things that were sort of dramatic uh, that he could have uh, taken out, so. I missed your thoughts, though. What are your thoughts on it so far? I mean, overall. Mine? Yeah. Um, I, it, it actually, you know, it, it exceeded my expectations. I mean, it really did. I, I didn't, I didn't, because I, I watched Come Fly With Me, you know? So, Come Fly With Me, I thought was great. And then there was another, um, was it Rare Air or something? I forget. There was another video after that. Um, it was like a six, six, uh, six DVD series of Michael Jordan. But this went deeper, and of course it went deeper into the Chicago Bulls as a, as a, as a team and an organization with Krauss and Reinstorf right. and stuff. Um, but I thought it was, it was, it was clever uh, to give MJ the iPad, let him see what his peers have mm -hmm. said about him. Uh, I thought it was great, you know, uh, for the for younger, younger generation uh, to get a better context of his career in the Chicago Bulls in the 90s. And I think he probably gained more millennial fans. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I got a question for you, though. What did y'all think about um, the whole question around them continuing after the last dance and the role of Phil Jackson and the organization? I mean, what do you think was really behind that? Because it looked like they didn't really kind of go into it, and then when they touched upon it, it was kind of like glossing over it. That's a good question, uh, Hassan, because uh, obviously that's fast-forwarding to like the end end of our chat here, um, and I actually do have that on the list of things that we're going to discuss. Um, so I want to I want to okay. um, okay. I want to bring that around back later again, yeah, because it's because it's not like obviously toward the end could they continue like type of thing. But I want to start like you know from the beginning really. So number one, Jason Ayer, I thought he did a wonderful job overall. Uh, I never even heard of him before, like or like know any of his work, or like if he was associated with like the Bulls or just just like a you know basketball junkie or what have you. I'm not sure, but definitely in terms of comprehensiveness, like you know putting that together, and even like the way that he did the interviews with people, because you got to pull that information out of people. It's not as easy as show old footage. You know what I mean? Like there's still skill involved in terms of getting certain things out of people and having them admit certain things years later, you know, and like be humble or not be humble, like, like you know, what happened. So, um, so I definitely appreciate, uh, you know, everything that he got out of uh, everyone that was interviewed. Um, I definitely learned a lot more, even some things that I remember, uh, the, the, like coming from the players, uh, made me think about it a bit differently. Or even hearing Jerry Krause's and Jerry Reindorf's side, uh, you know, makes me feel a bit differently about certain things because, you know, usually you don't hear from the owners or the back office or what have you. They're just, they're just kind of like these villains on the screen uh, sort of thing. So, yeah, I wanted to jump into them guys. Uh, Phil Jackson, Jerry Krause, Jerry Reinsdorf. How big of a – how big of an impact do you think that this played on uh, – uh, Jordan, namely, but also the Bulls, like, uh, particularly going into the last year? It's normal. It's in every organization. Uh, it's in business and industry. It's especially um, 
you know, of course, Fortune 500s, but 500 companies. But it's definitely an issue with sports teams, collective bargaining agreements, um, you know, contracts, renegotiations. You know, Magic Johnson was on a 25-year contract for $25 million. What? Yes, that was his contract. $25 million for 25 years. So um, as the game evolved via Michael Jordan, of course, you know, and, you know, Larry and and, and Isaiah and uh, Magic started it. But once those salaries increased and it became a global game and the uh, endorsements start rolling in, um, Magic's contract was obsolete. Pippen's contract was obsolete. Michael Jordan was profusely underpaid. His contract was obsolete. And then you had people like John Conkack and all these other, you know, Jim McElveen and all these other, you know, dudes getting these big deals. Shaquille O'Neal, Kevin Garnett, they came in the league and got really big deals. Penny Hardaway. So um, that created rumblings in front offices throughout the league, not just the Chicago Bulls. I can remember coaches, coaches said that they couldn't even coach the kids, uh, the players anymore. They were like, I make 200000 a year. This guy makes $7 million a year. So, you know, these young kids were coming in. Jordan's making $2.5 million, I think, something like that, maybe $5 million. He made a low salary. A low contract, uh, a low uh, salary. Like, um, like Biggie said, right? More money, more problems. Exactly. I wanted to interject. Yes. No, I just wanted to make a quick comment before um, you mentioned about the millennials, and I'm millennial, and I don't remember the early '90s games, but. When I rewatched the game on the last dance, it really showed me how much the game has played. I was born in 86, so, like, the 96 games, I barely remember. But rewatching those games as an adult made me realize and appreciate and see, like, the turn of the whole basketball sport. Being from the East Coast, basketball is everything. So you hear about legends around here, but when you rewatch it, and you see, like, that's what made him so great. The things that he was able to do, and even as a team, their dynamics uh, with the different personalities, and they were still able to win um, six championships. And it, was just, it just shows how much of a winning spirit that they had and that killer drive that he has. And it does get put a new spotlight when you watch his or their t- his team turned the whole basketball dynamic upside down, making it a global sport instead of just something that um, is watched in America. So from a millennial point of view, it really was uh, insightful, and, um, and it really encouraged, um, it encouraged me, really, to have that type of killer instinct and, like, things to do, like, to carry that ball. Like, if I know that I have a good team with me, but I have to still be that support because they're, you know, not doing well or they need that lift, it, you know, showed me that it's possible. Just a little side note <laughs> from the millennial. Thanks That's for dope. sharing that. I wanted to uh, touch on um, uh, uh, Krause's thing in terms of, like, wanting, wanting, um, wanting appreciation. I thought that was kind of strange. I thought that was kind of strange, whereas, like, you know, he said that, uh, like, 
uh, organizations win win championships, not just players. Okay, fine, but like, sh- should us as sports fans and the crowd like should we acknowledge Jerry Krause? Good job. Like, I don't like. I really don't get that. I don't see him running up and down the court. Like, I'm not. I'm not at the game because the organization uh, has done a good job. The 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 um the the effect of their decision making is obviously the team that we see in front of us, but um, I don't really have to like you know sing their praises. Like just being a Bulls fan, uh, I guess for the Bulls like fans um, and like wearing the jersey and that kind of stuff, that is appreciation. Yeah, um, when I I tried to process Jerry Krause, okay, you know, just being a little white man and um, wondering. Was he bullied or, you know, where did his ego come from? And then, of course, I had to go th- to his background with the Chicago White Sox. And the only thing I can come up with was, and I don't know much about baseball, when you watch the movie about the Boston Red Sox, what was the movie with Brad Pitt? I forget what it was called. It was Moneyball. Um, Moneyball. It was the Oakland, Oakland A's. Right. Yeah. Moneyball, Oakland A's. Right. Remember when... Um, the, the, the guy that came in with the statistics in the movie Moneyball, and he had like this mind of playing chess and putting players where they were supposed to be. He actually, you know, was, was a little short, stubby white guy too. Um, he's a, he's a, a big time actor though. Anyway, I thought about Krause's mind in dealing with baseball and putting those pieces together, like a DH or a, second baseman or home run hitter or slugger or something like that, and him saying, look what I did. I think in basketball, that, that mindset doesn't transition. You know, you can get a Scottie Pippen and a Horace Grant in the draft, and you can do a couple things, but in basketball, it's a little different. They have to develop, and they have to do so much more than you're even capable of doing as a, as a GM. Am I making sense? Absolutely. Yeah, it makes sense. So, yeah, I think that's that's the only the other other than ego. I think that's where some of that came from. I don't know how he I got. Like him, man. I, I, saw him, I thought I saw him. I, I just was turned off to my dude, man. I was just like, yo, he, this dude's tripping. But that's the same sense I got. I, I got like he wanted some accolades for stuff that the back office should have been, the front office should have been doing. But it was kind of like he wanted roll call too when they started the game, like you know, manager. <laughs> I mean, it was crazy, you know. And I was just like. Yeah, I just, I didn't, I wasn't really feeling him. And I definitely thought he had like a, a Napoleon type of complex going on with him or something. Like he was around all these big superstars that had big salaries and everything. And he wanted to make sure he knew that he had some influence and could flex on him sometimes, you know? That was yeah. And, you know, let me add to that, that as well. You know, like I said, I, I thought about Jerry Krause, you know, and I thought about Ryan Storr throwing him under the bus because he, of course, can't defend himself. Yeah. Um, you know, may he rest in peace. But, um, I thought about Krauss also with big black guys, you know, yeah. like with these big, you know, these big studs and these, you know, these bucks and how he would feel. I was really trying to figure out why he couldn't just sit back and relish in the organization's success. Why did he have to do or say or be how he was? Yeah. And, you know, I was really trying to figure him out. I think that's just his personality. Obviously, he was made fun of as a child, and it was like those pompous police officers that, you know, had to do 
the big and best thing and, you know, do be over. You also have to give them credit for seeing the potential in people that others weren't seeing the potential in. He did see the potential and like um, Tony Kukoc, when he came in and everyone during, um, we're not really feeling him because they're like, wanted Scotty's day and things like that. So he sees the potential in people and I think he wants to be acknowledged for making this team as a whole. Personally, I think that's Layla classless like you should be humble and appreciative again you weren't one of the players on the field out there running you know getting those rebounds scoring those points but yes you did put the team together and you saw the potential that others probably didn't think because they have they are a motley crew like you wouldn't really picture them as a team with all those different personalities work habits like you would kind of think, like, maybe they'll work out. But he saw the potential. He saw the bottom line. He saw the championships with them. So in that aspect, I feel like, yes, you can get the credit for creating a team. Like, I always think about um, Mark Jackson. I know you said don't go early but um, in the pre, uh, current, uh, current times. But Mark Jackson put the Warriors together, correct? Yeah. But he never asked for credit for that team. But real sports fans know that that was Mark Jackson's team that he put together. That was his creation. So Jerry Krause just wants people to give him the credit, like, yes, I put them together. No one else was going to do this. That's all I was saying. Wow. Very, uh, very a good point. Yeah. Um, I, agree, I agree with the whole Napoleon thing. I think overall that covers it. Very big Napoleon complex and, you know, maybe some bullying, like, before or what have you. But, uh, hey, like I said, uh, I take my hat off to him in terms of putting, um, you know, all of the all of the moves that he made, and uh, obviously the, you know, like now he is getting some kudos, like with the last dance coming out, whatever. Anyway, like he's got trophies, a boohoo. I don't think we need to cry for him. <laughs> um, uh, not for real, man. <laughs> so I wanted, I wanted to, I wanted to take it to the series now. In terms of what do you guys think was the hardest series for uh, for um, the championship runs? Like, was it was it was it the Knicks uh, um, in gosh, what year was that? Uh, when like the Knicks the Knicks came really close to beating them. Um, anyway, like uh, in terms of teams, the Knicks, the Pacers, or the Jazz, or there any other team that you guys think that the Bulls had a really hard time with? I mean, we might have to go back to prior to the 90s when the bad boys, I mean, getting past them was a breakthrough. And it just seemed like they were destined to run the 90s after getting past those Boston teams in the East. And then, of course, uh, the bad boys, the 89 and 90 team. Um, I don't think anybody can – the Pacers, of course, because they took them to seven games. Um, but – I definitely don't want to go uh, past the uh, the pay, the uh, uh, Isaiah Isaiah knows teams. Yeah, that that was Jordan could have quit. Okay, he could have quit. He could have gave up. And the fact that he got through that eighty nine and ninety championship uh, Pistons team, I mean, it was he was destined for greatness in the nineties. Jordan lost his first six years. He didn't just come in the league and you know, get to the championships and, you know, losing the playoffs. 
He was getting his butt kicked. The Celtics, the um, Celtics, Pistons, not the Cavs. It was basically the Celtics and the Pistons that had his, his number. So that's prior to the 90s, though. That doesn't answer your question. That's prior to the 90s. But I really don't want to skim over that part of his career. Right. Baby, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, what I was going to say is, um, yeah, I remember, you know, vaguely, you know, the bad boys and their, and their run, you know, when they won back-to-back uh, -back and how difficult it was for, you know, Michael to – well, Michael and the Bulls to sort of break through, like you said. But um, – I know, Marlon, you said we're not going to compare uh, eras and players, and that's not what I'm trying to do here. But, like, we got to think back. Like, Jordan, during those times, when he was getting, like, his – like, he was getting physically beat up during the basketball game. And these are, like – in today's game, these are, like, automatic suspensions, automatic ejections. But back then, these are just, like, common fouls. And so I always find it interesting where everybody's like, well, what would MJ be like in, in you know, in today's NBA? You know, maybe he wouldn't uh, adapt or evolve. Like, he's putting up 45 a night and getting physically beat up. I feel like if, it's, if he was in today's NBA, without the hand-checking, without the physical play like he used to be, he's putting up, like, he's, he'd average 50, you know? Yeah. That's, that, that's just, like, an observation I made. But, uh, yeah, so I don't know if you want to. So, so, so team-wise, and uh, you're very good points there because uh, that does come up in the barbershop conversations of, you know, who is the best and why, and, like, is this era, like, you know, weak or, you know what I mean, that, like, this kind of thing. Um, in terms of team, though, uh, what team, what team do you think gave the Bulls the hardest time? Yeah, and it doesn't have to be in the finals, just, like, in general. Like, you know, who gave them the hardest time to, to defeat series-wise in a series? Anybody. Um, what you got, John? Chris? The should put up a fight. Obviously, we talked about that. The only team to get taking a great game seven. And they're very well matched up with uh, with Chicago with big, you know, Smiths and like the Davis brothers and and Reggie. You know, so matchups are very difficult. And like you saw how Reggie was a master at, you know, getting under Michael's skin and rattling him and, you know, that sort of thing. But and I, I and I remember even watching back then. Like I loved the Bulls, uh, and I you know and I loved Michael. But I also kind of loved and I loved winners too. But I also loved like the underdog. I love I love Reggie's attitude, as in like okay yeah I know it's Michael, but like I'm here to win too. You know. So I I just like how they always made that uh, just like just competitive. I just love how competitive all of these superstars are and you know were. Yeah, that's why I felt. Uh not fell in love, but that's why I really liked John Starks and Reggie Miller, Xavier McDaniel, um, Vernon Maxwell. Anybody who got in Jordan's face, I was happy because he dominated, and it seemed like people were scared of him, which we're hearing that they were. But those particular players, there might have been a few other players, stepped to Jordan and said, hey, respect, but... I'm going to definitely uh, come at you. I think the Knicks early on, like 92, 93, or, uh, you know, because Jordan was still, like, athletic and, and still younger. And, you know, that team around that time was still trying to – they were trying to emerge and, and mentally 
get Scotty back to where he was playing with Detroit. So that was Mason and McDaniel and and Oakley. All of them cats right there were trying to almost get them to retreat back to being scared. So in, in one of those series, they actually took them seven games at that time too. Um, I think that team in the 90s was – because it took them seven games. And uh, they had to beat them last – Last chance in Chicago, and uh, you know Pat Riley was really trying to rally those guys. So that team challenged them. Indiana, they were a little bit older, even though they still worked through it. But um, at that time, they were still. This was like when they were going back to back, and that next team took them seven. I didn't realize that. You know, I'm glad you pointed that out because I'm a. I'm a definitely after this show, I'm gonna go back and check out that uh, next series. But you know, the one thing, uh, and this ties into what Emmy said. I'm going to sound crazy saying this, but the Pacers were better than the Bulls, pound, like pound for pound. And how Jordan and them pulled that out, I have no idea. But when you look at the, the tail of the tape, the Pacers were better than them. And I have a, I have a theory why Jordan and them uh, won six championships, but I'll wait. I'll hold that off. You don't sound crazy, Heath. Uh, look, I'm a Knicks fan, all right? Y'all see it like, you know, like I wear my heart on my sleeve for the Knicks. I thought, I thought some of them years, I, I thought some of them years uh, in the Eastern Conference, the Knicks were better than the Bulls, I thought. Um, now, I think it comes down to the, to the determination and will to win. Yes, yeah, not just about uh, the talent on the team or, or like, you know, matchups, et cetera. It does come down to the will to win, as well as a little bit of good luck. You know what I mean? As well, like you know, it was it was it was just on on the bull side all the time, and like that that um, intimidation factor that Jordan had as well. You know, like he always said, MSG was his favorite place to play, Madison Square Garden. Um, and I think it wasn't just because of the place, but the fans as well. Like you know, like the fans really brought it out of him. You know, uh, super fans like Spike Lee, but also like to be able to win in the greatest sporting mecca in the world. Like he liked MSG even more than his own stadium in Chicago. And 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 if you guys notice, he always put on his best performances against the Knicks. Man, yo, it was so tough being a Knicks fan. He would slaughter us just like dropping fifty, dropping fifty-five, like just out of nowhere. And 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 yeah. and like you know, like we had to up our play every time. Obviously, like, you know, you had uh, a collective kind of a thing uh, to, to, to not only try to stop him, but, but like, you know, even John Stark said, he's like, we knew that we couldn't stop him. We were just trying to make him work hard for every single point that he got. That was Joe Dumars' strategy as well. Joe Dumars used to say, and this is back then, I used to really listen to some of their uh, interviews. He would say, I'm going to limit his touches. And what he meant by that is when he gets it, there's nothing I can do. So I'm going to try to deny him the ball and limit his touches. And hopefully, statistically, um, you know, he'll end up in a lower average or a lower impact on the game. I just wanted to chime in on what I noticed collectively around the, the series that the uh, teams or the players that weren't intimidated of Mike um, made it further in the playoffs or even to the finals. A lot of the collective notion was, oh, is Mike, we're just playing against, but I want to win. And I think that's what was the challenging part um, 
for the Bulls that this, like, um, I think, I don't know who mentioned it, but that winning mentality of the other teams, that they didn't care that it's the Bulls and they had three-peats. They want to win a championship. And I think when you had that mindset of winning, you are a hard competitor because you don't care who's on. You're going to do your best, and you know that you are better. Like Reggie mentioned that they knew the Pacers were a better team. But again, this is their first time being in that situation. So they're rookies in that. They didn't understand like the pressure or, you know, they didn't have that much confidence that they can do it. And I think that's what the thing was. They knew they were the better team, but when you're rookie in that, that position, sometimes your confidence gets to you. Sometimes you feel like I can't do it, but I think a lot of the players or the teams that made it to where they were during that time was because they knew that they're going to win. And you had to keep that mentality in your mind, regardless of who it is, who's the dominant factor. You have to have that confidence that you can beat them. When Reggie got that ball and shot that shot, when what, like five seconds left or whatever, he knew that that was going in. Yeah. And he, he was going to win. <laughs> yeah. I think it was, was 1.9 seconds. I think that was the end after time, right? Yeah, there was more time left. You're right. Yeah, there was more time left. But right. he knew, give me the ball. And I think that's that mentality, like, I'm going to take it. And that's what Mike had in his mentality. So we want to be like Mike. I'm going to take it. I'm going to win the game. I'm going to dominate. I'm going to be the winner and the champion. Right. Hey, that shot, that shot, uh, isn't that the same game that then uh, a Mike got to shoot the last shot and it went in and then came out? Yeah. Like, like yeah. that was, that's that was, that's 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 yeah. That's just how much of an assassin he is. It went in. It went in and it came my out. Sister, my sister's a ball player, so she saw him shoot. She's like, that's too hard. That's the first thing she said, that's too hard. And I was like, you didn't even see it. She's like, it's just too hard. He shot it too hard. It's not going to go in. Mm -hmm. I was like, how did you know? She's like, I'm a shooter. Mm -hmm. He shot the ball too hard. If you were to do a little, <clears throat> not too much effort of, I'm, I need to put this in, it would have went in. So. so, Dandy, transition to your neck, because I got some notes, and, I, and you're, hitting, you're hitting some of my, uh, my bullet points. What do you I got, got next? I got you. So, uh, role players. Role players, yeah? Nobody wins alone. And uh, in Last Dance, did a very good job of highlighting uh, the stars. Yeah, so a highlight of Scotty, you know, a highlight of Dennis Rodman, uh, Steve Kerr, like even touched on Tony Kukoc, you know, came later on. But role players like, and in no particular order, but like, let me know what you guys think about like, you know, like these people. Again, uh, so we got Bill Cartwright, we got Luke Longley, John Paxson, uh, Craig Hodges, BJ Armstrong. Like, of these role players, like, you know, how do you guys remember their roles uh, in, like, in these games? For example, for me, B.J. Armstrong was, like, always that just, like, um, tenacious little, like, mosquito. You know what I mean? He was just always, like, you know, running the floor, like, you know, trying to, you know, trying to, trying to, like, almost, like, impress Jordan, I felt like. Um, obviously, we don't know for sure because he didn't – Actually, actually, we do kind of have an insight into that because uh, BJ did comment that uh, the one game when uh, Jordan played Charlotte, 
Um, and uh, he, he was on Charlotte at that point. He said that he really wanted to have like a really good performance. And, um, and he ended up, and he ended up uh, you know, having a pretty good game there. So you can tell, and like even Horace Grant as well, like, you know, when he was in, like, you know, on the Magic, like he went off for a game. So all of these guys, they came back and said that, hey, we played our best ball again against Michael. Now, obviously, something was instilled in them from being Jordan's teammates uh, in terms of that, like, never say die and like win at all costs type of, you know, type of mentality. Um, but then some of these other guys weren't really mentioned, you know, the Bill Cartwrights, you know, Luke Longley a little bit, you know, like he like, he like, he like came up a couple of times, but, uh, what do you guys think about the role players? Uh, we do have Trey Lou, Trey Lou chiming in with something. Um, you know, go ahead, Trey, go ahead, Trey, you want to say something? First, I wanted to say thank you guys for this platform. I'm truly, you know me, I am a basketball, you know, I love basketball. I've cheered for years and I seen you play and I was right there in the midst of this whole basketball thing with Michael Jordan, Pippen, Scotty. All of them, and I thought it was phenomenal. I want more of it. I want them to, I, I would love if each player would be able to have the opportunity to, you know, tell their story because I know behind the scenes uh, all too well what it is to be a basketball player. And I know the stats and, and, you know, just about them loving the coaches and the coaches loving upon them. I know when I was in high school, we lost one of our great coaches, uh, Mr. Fleming. I know he, uh, you know him, and he was a great coach. He was a stickler. And for you guys, if, for those who don't know it, it, you know, I thought it was a phenomenal job. You know, you just never know what happens behind the scenes. I've seen it behind the scenes, and I took my hat to the person that created Definitely. it. I want more of it. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, Tracy and I went to high school together. Uh, I was a ball player. She was the cheerleader. So we were on the bus traveling to games and stuff like that back in the day. Is that crazy? <laughs> so, I uh, loved it. I loved it. Actually, he, you, were, you were awesome. You, I, I knew you were going to be awesome. Thank you. Thank from jump anyway you know i just know it and i just knew it and i mean i would love to see you on the on the field on the court still i mean i think you still got it thank you can you there's a guy and on the on my screen he's right beside you his name is emmanuel you don't want to please say i'm awesome again I'm you, you don't time. want to see him on the court right now <laughs> <laughs> he is awesome i mean he's awesome i like him he's 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 rough on the he's rough on the court i've seen him i've cheered him i've done a couple of clap jumps and i've done a lot of things as he you know went to the hoop, so and I know all of them guys still we're still friends. They're on my Facebook page. I'm in contact with them all the time, from football all the way up to basketball. Yeah. Was me. Football, I mean, I guess yeah. I'll take it. I mean, you seem way more trustworthy than Heath, so I can take your word for it at least. <laughs> you know, you know, in, in regards to uh, these role players, you know, I saw B.J. Armstrong in college. He played at Iowa. Um, I knew a little bit about Luke Longley. Um, Horace Grant, I saw at Clemson in college. Um, they were very selfless for the Bulls. Um, they were, you know, even, even the other role players like, like uh, um, Harper, Pete Myers, Jason Caffey. Um, oh, goodness, there's a couple other ones. Craig Hodges. They were very selfless and... Um, they made sure that they were ready when they were needed uh, because B.J. Armstrong was a superstar at Iowa and him coming out as a role player and, and just playing his role, just fitting with the Bulls. I think, he, you know, if you go back to Krause, I think he did an excellent job at that, getting people who would uh, put their egos aside and fit in with the uh, 
triangle offense. Because like you said, like you said, BJ was a man in Iowa. Like if anyone, any player in the NBA, any level that they played before that, they were like the man, you know, on their college team or their high school team. A lot of these guys are, you know, McDonald's All-Americans or, you know, players of the year that come into the league. And then like the, the skill level at the top level of the NBA is – I don't think it's things that it's, it's it's something that like the common sports fan can't really comprehend. You know what I mean? Like like he he played high level. My boy Josh, we played high level basketball, and uh, we're out here teaching in the in you know in Dubai. And I have kids come to me every day like, Mister, how come you didn't go yeah. to the NBA? I'm just like, what? I had no shot of going to the NBA. But what I'm but to, not to sort of get sidetracked, but like. I mean, I guess you have to give a little bit of shout out to Kraus just for being able to recognize personalities and 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 they do like really really thorough scouting, not necessarily just on the skills of the player, but how they are, are they coachable? Yeah. You know what I mean, and stuff like that. Because if you're getting all these guys who've all been the man at every single level of basketball, and now they're asked to come off the bench, or you know they're taking two or three shots a game when they're used to taking you know fifteen or sixteen a game. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, I guess the role players on the Bulls really played their role to perfection for those, for those two three-peats. Awesome points. Awesome I points just want to add to that. Yes, please. Uh, just to, oh, I'm Josh, by the way. I'm in Abu Dhabi. Uh, <laughs> what's happening, Josh? Uh, what's up? What's up? Uh, for me, it's like a lot of these games and stuff, like I watched growing up, but I had to watch them, uh, one, as a kid in the late runs, and uh, – my dad actually had all the games taped, and I used to – I was a basketball fanatic. I was born in 1990, so I was a basketball fanatic off jump. My dad is a coach, all that stuff. Um, just for me, the, uh, the last dance, the way that it did the role players, to me, it didn't show enough of their success in some of the games. Um, like a lot of times they chalked it up to the Bulls won or we did this, and it would be like Jordan talking about it. Don't get me wrong. Like I mean, everything he did was great. Um, I like the way that they did it all, but it was just because I think of the time constraints maybe that they didn't necessarily go to it. Like the biggest one for me was, um, uh, I think it was like the game five where like it said that the Bulls played a really well, really good overall game. Everybody contributed, but they didn't talk about the fact that like Tony Kukoc went for 30 on like 60 some percent shooting. Wow. You know, Jordan wasn't really the star of that game. Kukoc was going crazy. Like he just couldn't miss. And that was just kind of like, oh, yeah, the Bulls were doing great that day. It was a great team effort, mm. you know? So there were, like, little moments like that where I, I think that the role players weren't celebrated enough for their successes. And uh, obviously I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that it was centered around Jordan. And it just didn't, I think, mesh well with some of the other, like, timings, the timelines, that the way that they jumped back and then jumped forward and stuff like that. So – I just think that part of the role players is just like they weren't some of their successes weren't celebrated the way that they were in that moment. You know what that makes me think of? You know how you're on these WhatsApp group chats and people are on the WhatsApp group chat, two people go off on the go off of the WhatsApp group chat to discuss something. I bet any money there's Chicago Bulls players <laughs> talking about this documentary off away from the media, you know? Saying, I had 30. Like, Tony Kukoc could say a lot of things, like you said. <laughs> like, they didn't mention that. And um, where was Judd Bushler? He, he had a couple things to say, right? Is Judd Bushler the guy with chest hair up to his neck? 
Yeah. <laughs> right? There was John Paxson, Doug Bushler. There were some people that got very limited. Oh, I'll tell you, Ron Harper. And yeah. I know he has a speech impediment, but he, he, he had very little interview in, you know, any, any FaceTime. When you go back to Roll, Harper was a superstar in Cleveland, had a knee injury, and he became a selfless role player as well for the Chicago Bulls. True, true. I thought, I thought, um, I thought Harper was like a premier player, you know, both on his previous team, uh, you know, as well as, as well as, you know, with the Bulls. Um, so, yeah, who knows? Um, again, again, it might have been a timing thing. Um, actually, I did, I did watch an interview um, after the last dance with uh, Jason Ayer, the director, and uh, they were kind of they were kind of asking him, um, you know, about the interview that he got and like you know deciding to use the iPad as a as a as a prop and these kinds of things. And he just said that you know um, some people he just couldn't get uh, FaceTime with. Even like uh, Reggie Miller was last minute. Like you know he said like like they called Reggie so many times and like didn't get any response back from Reggie. And they thought they like you know weren't going to get him. So it was a bit last minute that he like actually replied and said, yeah, you know like um, I'll go ahead and do you know, do the interviews with you. Um, uh, so maybe some people, it just, it just, it just didn't work out timing wise for, um, for their schedules to mesh. And then obviously some other people just were like, I ain't going to be in no Michael Jordan documentary. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, um, do, you, do you guys know when they finished the documentary, the nine and 10 numbers, nine and 10 episodes, seven and eight was airing when they were still editing nine and 10 because this got pushed up due to COVID. Right. Cause it was supposed to come out in June, of course. Yeah. In June. So yeah. I think they did an excellent job. What did you guys think about the, um, the, the, the format on how Jason did, he went back to the early nineties back and forth to the uh, late nineties. Did, 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 was that a distraction or do you think that was clever? Nice. I think with both of you weren't paying attention, you're like, wait, what game is this? <laughs> but I think it was nice because um, it, I think it was good because it gives you some insight of why it got to this point. So I like that, but you pay attention because um, if your child's screaming, you're like, what just happened? <laughs> We're back in a different game. But I thought it gave you a lot of insight. Uh, just where the mentality was. I, I wish they would have touched a little bit more on Ku Coach about his struggle in the Civil War and how that helped his drive to during the Olympics game and get to that point of them, you know, pushing him around to see if he was tough enough. I think that would give a lot of insight of like how he was such a role player with the Bulls for where he came from because they did that with um, Steve Kerr. So I thought it would be interesting about you know, going through, you're going through a war and you're, you have to come back home after the Olympics and you're probably going to get bombed at or shot at. So I thought they should have touched a little bit on that. Thank you. Yeah. How about Chris? You were saying too? About no, the format? Yeah, I said I loved it. I mean, part of it, like even going back to the role players, uh, you kind of, they really could have had 10 more episodes. You know, of course they got to do things. I mean, they don't want to, overrun it with Bulls and Michael Jordan or whatever, but even going back to the role players, like there were moments if you watched it, like you touched on B.J. Armstrong. He was actually 
highlighted more in the 93 finals because he was going against uh, going against Kevin Johnson. And, like, those first three games, he was killing Kevin Johnson in his head, playing his role. And Kevin was frustrated. He was an all-star. So he had his moment in 93. Coach, like, even the, the Father's Day game, Jordan didn't have a good game on Father's Day. They pretty much had to pick him up when they beat Seattle because he was struggling emotionally. I mean, they show him making shots, but that wasn't one of his better games. Kind of same with the last game against uh, the Trailblazers in 92. Sorry, I'm, I'm a Jordan fan. I follow hey, Keep going. Them, so I can keep remember going, stuff bro. That, they weren't, that they weren't highlighting. Like game six against Portland, didn't have a good game. She on the bench the third quarter and some of the feet coming in playing their role. So that even kind of gave them that confidence once he retired to have a good season because these guys had moments where they had to emerge. And, you know, they show Paxson and Kerr and making those shots. But there were different times where guys just had to, even if it's just a defensive stop, like Brian Williams, Bison Daly, whatever he was at that time, he was a solid big man. Uh, for the team, he was a lefty too, and he was on the last two championships. And he was he played well at Denver, and then he came to the Bulls and kind of settled into a role. So, I mean, one thing I will say: all those big men could actually shoot, and they could pass, and that was something that was essential for being in the uh, in the triangle. You needed to be able to turn around and make a twelve footer, and you needed to be able to you know triple threat. You got to be able to pass. And you got to be able to move a little bit. So I was touching on the role players a little bit. Wow. From a true Jordan fan, a Bulls fan, wow. You could start your own documentary, man. <laughs> oh, I was just going to um, add to uh, I think the I think the jumping back and forth was super necessary for, uh, like, the millennials, for the people that aren't Jordan fans, right? And it was, like, it was the fastest way to give you the history of Jordan um, with giving you the last dance. Right, like there's a lot of people that never seen him before, so you had to go back. Um, if they would have went all the way back and then just did everything really choppy, I, I think you would have lost a lot of people. You know, uh, keeping it to the storyline and then giving each person their own basically personalized episode in the way that they did it. You know, they gave one to Phil, they gave one to Jordan, they gave one to Pippen, Rodman, uh, Kerr, Kukoc. You know, they kind of had their own little personalized back history. Um, and doing that, like I think you got to dive deeper into each one of those people which made you appreciate the whole process a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in, ter in, ter in terms of like that tactic, I thought it was masterful as well. Um, in general, I love backwards forwards movies. You know what I mean? Um, uh, like, like, like usual suspects or what have you, you know, so backwards forward stuff is like always my, you know, like it always like my go-to. So uh, I think Josh is very right there in terms of people that didn't live through it. Or like, you know, we're like super young and like, you know, forgot like a lot of that stuff. Um, bringing it back to bring it forward and clearly showing that this is the timeline. And like, this is the way that this is going to be uh, narrated. And masterful. Masterful is dope. Um, so in terms of players, uh, we did uh, touch, on, touch on the role players. I want to bring up these two particularly, Horace Grant and BJ Armstrong, because as ex-Bulls, they were on teams that had to face uh, Jordan during his like you know re you know resurgence in like part two of the three peats, um, and Jordan said that both of those guys 
gave him fire to like really have like big games. Um, whether that be true or not, or he just really wanted to embarrass them or what have you. I want to know what you guys think about that. BJ Armstrong um, as part of Charlotte Hornets, I believe, yeah, and uh, Horace Grant uh, with the uh, with the yeah. Orlando Magic. Because Orlando Magic had a bomb squad, like that was crazy. Like Shaq, Penny, uh, Horace, like that was a bomb squad, and uh, and uh, then BJ. So, what did you guys think of those two teams and uh, having kind of like having Jordan's number? You know, BJ had Jordan's number that one particular game, and like obviously Horace knows. Uh, you know, the triangle offense and what they're going to do. Yeah, BJ also mentioned that he knew the triangle. He knew the gaps and holes, you know, being on maybe the second team at times, going against the first team, he knew how he can score. Uh, so, of course, he took over. And he wasn't a starter, I don't think. If I can remember correctly, he finished the game because he knew what he was doing at the end of the game and he hit the game winner. Um, Horace, on the other hand, you could tell when they lifted him up in that, that game that they beat them that there was some serious animosity and hurt feelings because they just won a game. And, of course, they just lifted him up like he won a championship. Anybody else on, 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 uh, on uh, just those two players, you know, being former Bulls and kind of like how they had something to prove? I feel that, um, I mean, it's kind of just uniform in sports, like – no matter what reason why you're leaving a certain team, either trade or free agency or, you know, whatever it is, like when you look at that schedule and you see that you're playing your former team, like you circled that day on the calendar. You know what I mean? Like you circled that day on the calendar. You're, you're, you're extra hype. You're extra anxious. You just want to go out there and kill and prove for whatever reason, even if you left on your own, you know, for your own re personal reasons or whatever it is, or they, you feel that they didn't want you or, you know, you got traded or whatever, you're circling that. But I think the difference between BJ and Horace, um, because I think they also mentioned that when, when Michael took his, his break from, from basketball and he was playing baseball, it was BJ that took him into the practice facility with Charlotte. And, and you know, he was getting shots up and, you know, watching practices. So you can tell that they had a decent, you know, pretty good uh, personal relationship off the court. But um uh, even with some comments that are coming out after uh, the last dance has been aired about Michael, uh, sorry, about Horace calling Michael a snitch and this and that, and they're going back and forth. And this is, you know, 20 years later. So I think the difference between two of them is that, um, yeah, BJ wanted to go out there and kill because, you know, he's a competitive person like they all are. But I think it was way more personal for Horace. Like you saw him, they lifted him up and he's just like, yeah, you know. And I think he really wanted to get back, not just at the Bulls, but this is like, this is like a Horace and Michael thing, you know? And I think there's way more dirt and stuff that was probably not even, you know, safe for the general public to even be, you know, made aware of. So. Now, that one thing when Jordan and BJ Armstrong are both stars. So that's almost like a point where it's like maybe they wanted to put it out there like you were holding us back, you know? Because they were all stars when he retired in '94. Were they all stars with the Bulls? Yeah, yeah. Them, they were there with, and Scotty won MVP at an All Star game. Hmm. But DJ Armstrong and Horace Grant were first time All Stars, and they were that was the only time they actually made an All Star team. I didn't know BJ made an All Star game. Wow. BJ was an All Star. I didn't know that either. I didn't know that. 
And I definitely want to talk about that, uh, Jordan holding them back. Wow. I didn't even consider that. I mean, that's just my theory. I don't really think in hindsight he held them back, but when he's not ball dominant, then the ball has to be distributed. So therefore, you know, it moves around. And it says a little more. So it's one thing to be voted in, but, you know, the bench players are picked by the coaches. So mm-hmm. if you're picked by a coach, then that, you know, that's a little bit more of an acknowledgement than fans saying, you know, I want to see him. You know, the coaches pick the bench players. Mm-hmm. So BJ and Horace, they didn't start. So they were picked by the coaches. And the Bulls were rolling that year in 94. Yeah. How many games did they win? 55, I think. Yeah. And they won 57 in 93. Man, you're dropping a lot of uh, details, brother. Well, I'm, I'm sorry, man. That was, that was my era. That's where I grew up in. And that's kind of, I mean, I know I, I'm bit, I know I joined the meeting late, so I'm not sure exactly you know, where you all were and what all you all touched on. But, um, you know, that's the era that I grew up in. So I was, you know, I remember all of that stuff, especially being a Bulls fan. I mean, that's, that's even like uh, when people talk about, athletes of today versus athletes back then and how they aren't as athletic. You know, one thing that I say is that when you're talking about athletes, you're talking about yourself. And that's more or less saying, okay, if athletes of today are so much better, then that means that you feel like you can't compete. Mm -hmm. And I know I could have competed, you know, in any era, even as far as today goes. You know, for me, around that time, that was personal because that's when I was coming up and really trying to, uh, you know, hone my skills and, and really develop. Like even B.J. Armstrong, I looked at him and like the way he shot the ball was how I pretty much developed my shooting for him because it was just perfect. You know, whether it went in or not isn't always the case, but he had a perfect shooting for him, I thought. So he was somebody that I watched a lot, you know, at that time. And, you know, you just pick up little stuff from different people here and there. Yeah. You know, a uh, quick quick thing on BJ that I'll always remember, uh, and, you know, we heard Kobe Bryant d- did it, and, you, you know, a lot of people did it, but I remember BJ Armstrong. I was very surprised that he uh, shot, he, he hit 1,500 makes for an entire summer um, every day. Each day he had to make 1,500 shots per day. And I believe that's the next year that he developed that three point that three ball, and he probably ended up in the All Star game. I remember his J was wet um, at one point in his career. I just wanted to add um, the mentality is different when you talk about today's game and yesteryear. Um, growing up, I was an athlete, and as I was, we didn't give like trophies to participation. You are going to win or you're going to lose. And if you lose, you work harder so you can win. Now these kids growing up, and my sister's in um, collegiate sports, um, she noticed, like, uh, not, I'm not, they're not passionate about winning. They just want to play. And I think that passion about winning is what makes people great. And I think or those are the key players that go so far is that they keep having that passion that they won't um, accept a participation that, no, I'm going to do better so I can get the trophy, so I can win at the highest level. This is what I need to do. I need to go home and uh, practice, guaranteed 1,500 shots a day. 
I had to perfect my crossover. I had to, you know, get that killer drive to know that I'm going to win. I'm not going to be. And now it's just acceptable. Like everyone is a champ. I think my son, he's four. And he was three. Um, I put him in soccer and they gave him a medal. And I was like, you know, that was cute. But he didn't, he just stood there. He hated soccer. I'm like, why does he get a medal for just standing there? Like I'm, I guess I'm old school, but I feel like you have to be a champion. I think that's what the key about Mike was he wanted to win. He used any type of trigger line to make him convince himself of his own reality of that's why he's not going to win. I'm going to prove it to you that I am a winner and I will beat you at any cost. For the two games with the um, for Magic game and for even the Hornets game, he came back with vengeance. Because he, he was like, I'm not going to have that be the quote. I'm going to go. That was his trigger. And I know him. He always had, like, a trigger to make him great if he's not having good stories in his mind. To, like, to make him be that, no, I am great. I have to be the best. I am going to show you. You don't you doubt me. I will prove to you. And he was able to back it up. And I think that's what is the key to, to any championship, even with the um, PJ and um, – Whores, they had that same mentality. Like, I am that good. I can beat you. So I think we have to keep that mentality going when we, you know, when we have, I have a child. That we got it. Like, you are a champion. You have to do your best and you have to practice and you have to want nothing but the best to be the best. I always say perfect practice. You know, they say, what is it? Practice make perfect. It's like, no, perfect practice make perfect. Like, you have to be that killer. I, I, I said Michael is a killer. And other players are just predators. You know, predators, you have to, you, you pray because you have to eat. Killers just kill f for fun or forever leisure. And that's what the difference is. That's heavy. Wow, thanks, D. Jeez. Killer. Um, so that, that, that brings us to uh, um, what other players uh, that The Last Dance mentioned pissed, pissed MJ off. So we've got Clyde Drexler that he said that, like, just the mere comparison of people comparing uh, him to Clyde really, really ticked him off, and he really wanted to have a great series against the Trailblazers. Uh, George Carl, just for George Carl passing him by in a restaurant and not saying anything to him, he said that pissed him off, and he really wanted to go off on the, uh, on the uh, Supersonics. Uh, Gary Payton, obviously the glove, he says no love for the glove. The glove was not any competition to him at all, he said. You know, like you guys saw here that really like, you know, like wry laugh, you know, like when he had the iPad, look, you know, look, look at the Gary Payton say that. Um, Madison Square Garden in general, he said anytime that he went to MSG and played my beloved Knicks and saw the OG Spike Lee, he wanted to have a great game against Mars Blackman and squad. And then, um, of course, uh, Jerry Krause uh, and whatever Jerry Krause liked, he disliked, such as Tony Kukoc. You know him and him and uh, him and Scottie Pippen went in. You know went in on Tony Kukoc at the uh, at the uh, '92 Olympics uh, because Jerry Krause you know wanted to recruit him, as well as uh, Dan Marley. He said he said Jerry Krause liked Dan Marley, so he's like, Nah, man, I'm gonna embarrass that guy and show him that he's not a good shooter, and not a good defender. And uh, we saw what happened to uh, the Phoenix Suns. So, what are you guys um just like opinions on MJ's competitiveness? And either his real or or uh, uh, imagined foes, or the thing that he used to psych himself up. 
I think you forgot also Isaiah Thomas, which is like the biggest hatred <laughs> wait, wait, to wait, this wait, day. He does not, he cannot stand that man. <laughs> wait, true, true. Uh, I didn't forget Isaiah Thomas. The reason why I didn't mention <laughs> that because because of the Pistons in general uh, made him want to play at a higher level. Yes, but not Isaiah Thomas in particular during the series. I think that came after because. Uh, they didn't. They didn't shake their hand and show good sportsmanship. That's why I didn't include Isaiah singularly in that. I don't think he did anything in particular to make him want to play harder during the series against the Pistons. It was just overall they wanted to play. They wanted to beat the Pistons because the Pistons beat them the year before. Yeah, Isaiah one runs a little deeper though too because uh, during the All Star game he was the one who was kind of the head of icing Jordan out of the All-Star game, out of his first All-Star game. He was kind of the head of that because of the pole Pistons rivalry. So there is a little bit more with the Isaiah, but for sure Isaiah is the poster boy for all of the Pistons' actions. Good facts. Definitely. Like that, like that. I think he was was just ultra-competitive. Even when you think about – like going back to his battles with Dominique Wilkins, you know, my brother was a big Dominique Wilkins fan. So in PBS, the Atlanta station was something that played here all the time. So those Bulls and Hawks games were battles, just back and forth, back and forth. And I think he was just, just the ultra competitor, you know, in terms the ultimate competitor in terms of uh, just using whatever it takes to get motivated. Like one of those playoff games – think he was wearing a pair of penny shoes so you know you come into a game and you're like wow you know if you're a fan you know you're looking like man Mike got on my shoes but not realizing it could be another psychological edge to kind of get you off of your game or why he's killing you with your shoes on you know something like that I mean there's he's just a mastermind in terms of that like even something going from the 45 to the 23 he got fined for that because He's in the books as 45, but he finished the series as 23. So that's, you know, Superman taking off the or going into the phone booth and, and putting the cape on, you know, all of those things. So I think even though it's his own edge, I think who he's going against, it's messing with them mentally too. Um, I kind of compare Michael, like when I think about like the greats uh, from other sports as well, like Michael's mentality was just like – I, it's not just like just I, like you want to like I like I need to win. It's almost like a drug. Like he just had to win at all costs, and no matter what people thought or what sort of was perceived, at the end of the day, it's just about getting the W. And I kind of see the same thing in like um, like a Serena like Serena Williams, for example, right? Or or a Tiger Woods, right? Like these those sort of athletes. It's not just their physical talent and like the skills they have with their sport, like. They're like, they're like, I think I'm a competitive person, but like some of the things, you know, that, or whatever it is, some of the motivations or reasons or whatever it is that they need to take them to that next level. Like, I know I'm competitive, but I don't, I don't possess that, you know? And I thought I'm one of the more competitive people that I know of, but when you're on that scale, when you're on that level, you, it's it's a totally different mentality, and I think it's something that that is just that has, that's you're literally just born with. That's inside you. I feel. I feel like Tom Brady is another one that has that yeah. killer 
mentality of any cost um, and that motivation. Um, and I think that's the thing with Mike was he needed an extra boost to motivate him to get to that level. If it's going to be something he made up in his head that the man never said hi to him, or if it's someone made a comment like you're, you're Michael Jordan, he needed that. Like, Oh yeah. You know what? That reminder, like, yeah, I am. I am the best. Yeah. Let me, let me show you. And what I admire about Mike is not only did he talk it, but he walked it. Like he would destroy you. Like he was Mike. And he backed up what he did. And a lot of players, you know, they were good, but sometimes they didn't back it up. And, and I like that he backed up. Like, yes, I will show you that I'm Michael Jordan. Yes, I will show you that I can dominate. And I will continue to destroy you. Thank you for that reminder about who I am. I'm glad you recognize me. Dope. Yeah, I guess we can, we can, we can blame his father for that. They that, that uh, you know, with Larry and, you know, just working on a car or doing things around the house, Larry was always the guy. And Michael had to, um, you know, live up to what Larry, his older brother Larry was doing. So he just, he definitely um, just tried to be the best that he can be just to impress his dad. Yeah, I want to move over to Flugate. So uh, the, the game five against the Utah Jazz. Um, Pizza. They said they said they said they said it was pizza and it was food poisoning, which uh, really threw me because, like, you know, I just thought, like, you know, like seeing him on the court, I just thought that you know he was sick with the flu, the actual the flu, and they said that it was, uh, you know, pizza, food poisoning, and like pretty much like, do you guys believe that? Do you think do you think Michael Jordan got set up? Like, like did the Utah Utah Pizza Company like did they did they did they spike his food? Is that what happened? Anybody on Flugate? Well, you have to remember, too, my sister made a good point. When Scottie Pippen was holding him, like, trying to get him up, if he had the flu, wouldn't Scottie be afraid that he might catch it? So there, that is a, a condition that is, uh, what is contagious. So why would they want to be so close to someone that is contagious or say you can come and play knowing that you can contaminate everyone during a playoffs game? Like, why would you? So I, I think he did have food poisoning. <laughs> he was the only one that ate the pizza. Everyone else said, we're not eating that. <laughs> hey, you know what I thought about now in 2020, man, he could have died. Like, we don't know what they did. If that's the truth, you put something in someone's food to make them sick. I mean, think about things, you know, viruses and, you know, different poisons and things that you can do to spike somebody's food. The only thing is, is how did they know where the pizza was going? How did they know it was going to Michael Jordan? Right. So, so uh, I watched something about this after the fact, and um, uh, like Stephen A. Smith was like, "Oh, come on, you know, like he's the only one that ate the pizza. I don't know about that." And uh, they were saying, "Well, remember now, this is Utah, and Utah. Remember, they're Mormons. These guys are all connected one way or another. You know, probably brother and sister." So when, <laughs> so when the phone call went in, it was probably like, "Yo, some pizzas getting delivered to this hotel. The Bulls are staying in that hotel. It probably didn't matter who." Any bull that would have ordered that pizza, they would have wanted them to get sick. That's what I was thinking. It didn't it, like it, like 
we don't really have to think about like how do they know Michael Jordan's room. I think for for them to have an effect on anybody, it just so happened that the best player, the pizza went to that person's room. It's like, oh wow, this is great. They said five delivery drivers were at the door, just like peeking in, like you know, trying to get a look at them. So I don't know. It's not like you know, if that story is a hundred percent true, then. That sounds really messed up because that means Utah fans are the most diabolical in the game. Like, you know, the Knicks fans are tough, but that's diabolical. Yeah. His trainer actually told that story years ago. I don't know if he was on Vlad or something like that, but this was like long before the documentary came out. He said that it was food poisoning, but, um, you know, nobody ever touched on it. They just kind of left it alone. And I guess, this was the ultimate platform to be able to highlight the same story. And he said the same thing. You know, you got five guys delivering a pizza. And, yeah, it probably didn't matter who got sick. But just trying to get somebody. But, you know, that's that's terrible. I mean, I don't, I'm wondering what it could be. I mean, I have a pretty strong immune system, you know, to get that sick. Like, dude, looked like he was near death. So I wonder what they actually put in there. I mean, that's that's crazy. And then, and then that's a, that's a that's a good place to uh, transition to. Um, he did look really bad out there, but then for him to have the kind of game that he had, and I'm just gonna pull up the stats in a second. Um, but for him to have the, the the kind of game that he had, like speak to that guys, just about like you know fighting through adversity, because that was crazy that he was able to pull out those like you know that kind of game still even after all that. Like, what do you guys think of the actual performance in Game Five? Who knows, maybe if, if no one ever knew what it means to, uh, like, work on adrenaline, like, if you see somebody gets hurt and then they don't realize they're hurt until they actually see it, I mean, I can speak to, you know, playing ball and feeling great until I go home and get in the shower and all of a sudden I'm stinging, yeah. and then I look and realize I got cuts all over my arms and legs and this, that, and the other, but, you know, that's adrenaline. You don't feel it until you actually see it. So, who knows, maybe being in the moment, I mean, Shoot, almost sometimes halftime can be your worst enemy because you're in a groove and you can just keep going and going. But he looked the worst when he was on the bench. But when he was playing, he looked like he was just able to block it out and, and persevere and just keep going. But, like, them timeouts, even though he needed a break, that's when he looked at his worst, you know, other than his eyes. I mean, his eyes have been looking terrible anyway. But other than that, you know, he was, he was good. He was in his moment. He was in his, his safe space, so to speak. Yeah, I think that I think that connects back to what we were talking about before about how uh, people you're saying people were scared of Michael, but it's like when the game's going on, they went at him. It's like the same thing, man. Okay, so flu gate game, uh, the Bulls win ninety to eighty eight, thirty eight points, seven rebounds, five assists, three steals, and one block, including a three pointer with less than a minute left to play. Jordan said of the game, "I almost played myself into passing out. I came in and I was almost dehydrated." Uh, and like mouth dry, couldn't breathe. They tried to give me Gatorade. I was like, man, screw the Gatorade. I want an IV. <laughs> so, wow. Flugate, interesting, man. And like, yeah, like I was saying, like in, in terms of uh, playing off of adrenaline and like just being on that high, like, you know, that's, that's, that's something that you can't, uh, you can't measure in terms of a person's will and like want to do something, especially when they're playing off that adrenaline. So I agree with that. Very true. So it, I wanted to know from, from everyone who, as far as their uh, legacy, who was damaged the most 
Was it Horace? Was it Scotty? You know, sitting out. You know, and of course Tony Kukoc hit the shot. Was it Isaiah Thomas? Um, was it Michael Jordan himself? You know, we know that probably is not the case. Was it Jerry Krause? Who whose legacy was damaged by this documentary? The most. That's an amazing question. Wow, I like that. Like that. Man, I think to be honest, there's it can go both ways because, like to me, Jerry Krause was painted as the villain in the whole thing. Um. But at the same time, like, I didn't even know who Jerry Krause was before the documentary. <laughs> so it's like you told me who this person was only to tell me that he is the villain. And you would have never thought, you would have never known um, because he is the behind-the-scenes guy. Obviously, just, again, backtracking just a little bit. Um, like, if this was today, for me, like, I'm from Toronto, so yeah. I'm a Raptors fan. And every Raptors fan knows who Messiah Jerry is. Mm-hmm. And, like, he's the guy that is given all the credit for getting Kawhi, doing all this stuff, getting this Raptors team together that eventually made the championship run. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting just to see the comparison between those two entities because for him, Krause, he he literally got no love, but he wanted it all. And like Jerry kind of deflects it because he's getting it. So that's where, like, sorry, but before we were talking about it, I I wasn't really sure where I sat on that only because, you know, he doesn't get the credit but he is painted as a villain in this documentary. Sorry. Yeah. And it's coming from the perspective of the players and first and foremost, Michael Jordan, who didn't like him. So. Yeah, I, I would say Krause too. I mean, I think everybody kind of took a little bit of a hit, you know, depending on who you ask. You know, some people are going to uh, paint Michael Jordan a certain way. You know, Scottie Pippen doesn't get all the credit that he deserves. And then you highlight some of his lower moments, you know, not going in the game, things like that. So he took a little bit of a hit. But I think it really goes back to Krause. Like anybody who breaks up a championship team. And I mean, like, don't forget where you came from. You know, you went from a team that was horrible. You finally put it all together. And then all of a sudden, that's not good enough. You know, you don't. You know, you don't just throw it, throw in the towel. You know, if you just come off of winning another three straight, give them a chance to lose. And they were perfectly fine with that. You know, you don't want to renegotiate Scotty Pippen's contract. He's the, what was he, the seventh highest play player on, on the team, and he's the second best player on the team? Yeah. I mean, so him right there, like, he just, don't forget where he came from. You know, that's, so I, that's what I would say to him. So, and you look at it in hindsight, he was an idiot. You know, you keep your guys together. You keep your guys together and you pay them. You know, you don't, you know, you renegotiate Scotty's contract, make him happy because he was holding it down when Mike was gone and while Mike was there. So for him, his legacy takes the biggest hit, you know, God. I agree. And I feel like um, it's hard because he can't defend himself to say why he made these decisions. And I don't think that was fair that they didn't include him or, I mean, granted he was, he passed away, but didn't have some more insight of why he made these decisions. And you have to remember at that time, basketball wasn't a global phenomenon. So the contracts that these players were getting were ideal for that time. And I think now looking at it, it's hard to imagine that Scottie Pippen not making 
that much money. So it's it's hard to understand that now looking back at that. In regards to Pippin, and you know, I would say probably what the first five, in the first five or six uh, episodes is where Pippin was getting beat up pretty bad. He redeemed himself. If you play basketball or if you're just an adult and you know about a back injury or a back pain, he redeemed himself by being out there running around with that back problem. Like for me, that erased everything by him sitting on the bench and being selfish and getting waiting to get surgery, by him being in that game, and that, that was it, the sixth game, of the, the fifth game of the Utah, Utah game, right? The sixth? That was the last game. Yeah, no. I Pippen. tipped my hat to Scott and Pippen. In terms of legacy, uh, those are, like I said, it's, it's, a, it's a very good question and like a loaded question. But, yeah, I think, uh, I think Jerry Krause, um, you, know, has to, you know, has to get it in terms of like a, a marred legacy because now people know what went on behind the scenes. Cause to be honest, back then uh, being young, I was just like, yo, they got more like Jordan got more, you know, if like he's still functioning at that level, I, I thought they could have won at least two more. Like, you know, back to like, you know, like again, again, like, you know, hit, you know, hit him with two more um, with the same, with the same squad and maybe adding, like, you know, like another, like another, like another role player, maybe. Um, so like, I, like, even as a Knicks fan, I was, I was kind of sad to see that, to see that, uh, that era end, you know, so to speak, because I feel like Jordan wasn't just, uh, Bulls. Um, I remember when, when he retired the first time, like, you know, like it was like, it was like a funeral, like, you know, people were like really, really sad and upset. Um, and like, uh, just to have that kind of talent taken away when there's so much more to give. And I felt like that again the second time. And I'm like, oh, say it ain't so kind of thing. Like, why would this be happening? And then I found out that it wasn't his choice this time, but the organization's choice. So I definitely have to say that in terms of, like, legacy, like, Jerry Krause has to take that hit for wanting to break that up in the first place. And uh, then, yeah, of course, the owner, Reinsdorf, for, like, agreeing. You know, cause, like, you got to agree to it, right? I'm going to play devil's advocate. Not so much just for Jerry Krause, but I'm going to come to his defense. Because even in these posts, um, you know, whether it be Stephen A. Smith or Chris Broussard, from what I'm hearing, it was mathematically impossible to keep that team together. Because you would have finally had to pay Pippen. Jordan was getting $30 million a year. I mean, they were going to have some salary cap problems to try to keep Dennis Rodman. Scottie Pippen, Dennis Rodman. They were going to pay Jordan. But to keep Scottie Pippen, Dennis Rodman, and then some of the role, the other role players, they said, and it's Chris, would you concur to this? Like, I think that that was the, one of the issues with Krause as well. Of course, he didn't like Phil Jackson. Yeah, well, see, that was the thing. Like, I mean, giving Mike $30 million, you know, letting him sign those one-year deals is great. But you got to there's going to be some animosity for the rest of the team, even if they were getting paid. You're giving this cat $30 million by itself, and I'm struggling. My whole contract isn't even $30 million. Yeah. But I think if he gave Mike 20 he would have been perfectly fine with that for those one-year deals and kind of spread the wealth a little bit. And even after that fifth championship, Reinsdorf overrode the decision and brought Phil in for that last year by itself. Mm-hmm. 
So that wasn't even Krause. Krause was done after five. Reinsdorf stepped in and said, no, we're going to do six. So he brought Phil in one more year. And because he's the top, top dog, Krause just had to go along with it. How about the, uh, the money distribution? And I'm thinking that Krause, even though there was, you know, anti-sentiment and, 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 you know, a lot of vitriol, I don't think he could keep them. Dennis Rodman, I think they outplayed their contract. Yeah, Rodman's worth it went down. Scotty's, Scotty was still on the downside, but he still deserved a big payday. It wouldn't have been tough trying to keep them all together. They would and introduce them into the triangle to try to get it to work. So they wouldn't have been able to bring everybody back. But Scotty got but seventy million, right? Eighty with Port or uh, that's Houston. what I'm saying. So he had to go cash. Yeah, he had yeah. to go cash in. Yeah, he had to. Yeah, he didn't have a choice. He didn't have a choice. But I think, you know, if everybody agreed and they were trying to win number seven, he might have <clears throat> he might have signed a one-year deal. And, you know, yeah, I don't know. That's kind of hard to speculate. But they were going to run into issues. I think if they took care of him earlier, you know, then he would have been better off. But getting to that last, that last year, he was already done. Yeah. Okay. I wanted to uh, uh, shift to sportsmanship uh, in terms of um, the Isaiah Thomas and uh, you know, Pistons thing. Now, Larry Bird, uh, at the end of the Indiana series, you know what I mean, congratulated Mike. And if you guys remember uh, in the last dance, you know, Michael Jordan like shook his hand after and said, now you can go work on your golf game. You know what I mean? Like, you know, kind of like a last minute burn to him. Uh, Karl Malone. Now, like, this is real big of Carmelo. And if you guys remember, at the end of the uh, Utah series, Carmelo got on the bus, on the Bulls bus, walked all the way to the back, past everybody, looking at everybody, celebrating and whatever, and shook Michael Jordan's hand on the bus where Mike is back there holding court, you know, with his big cigar. So, like, that was really big of, like, you know, um, uh, your Carmelo to do that. And now we have uh, – and – and and recall now, like Carmelone as well, like a bit different than like with Larry Bird because he's like a coach at that point, and you know maybe he can see winning a championship like with that team. But Carmelone, I think he knew in his heart of hearts that that was his last chance to win a chip, and Bulls took that away from him. Still, he like had that sportsmanship to get on the bus and walk away to the back. Now Isaiah, I love Isaiah, man, and I'm a Zeke fan. You know, uh, like you know, appreciate like his hard nosed play. Especially like a little guy, you know, like doing this thing out there. However, I do think that was wrong in terms of what happened uh, at the end of that series and them not shaking the bull's hand. Now, here's where I'm coming from with that because I know that it wasn't his idea. He said it was Lane Beer's idea. I never liked Lane Beer. I don't know about you guys, but I never liked Lane Beer. I always thought like there's something in him, like he just like one step away from saying the n word. I just feel that about Lane Beer's looking at him. I don't know, but just looking at him. <laughs> just looking at it, I feel like he's like one of them dudes that like just can't wait to say it. You know, like throw bows or whatever, you know, that like this is like what he looks like to me. So Lane Bear gave him the idea of like, yo, let's not even shake their hands, let's just walk off the court. And Isaiah listened to him. Now, my my mom's always told me, uh, especially like growing up around certain people, um, uh, when I was going to a certain school, like I had like, you know, started like having like white friends for the first time. She's like, hanging out with those kids, you gotta be careful. Cause remember you guys get in trouble and you're doing something together, you're going to be called out. 
And I think Isaiah should have had the same kind of thinking with this because years later, no one's blaming Lane Beer. They're blaming Isaiah for what happened in terms of that sportsmanship and, and uh, marring his reputation. And obviously we see what happened with um, uh, the Olympic team, et cetera. So in terms of sportsmanship, what do you guys think um, of that whole fiasco? Yeah, I think uh, he's paying for it a little too much. Um, he missed the Olympics. Um, of course, he, he got drugged through this uh, this documentary. Um, he's not that bad of a guy, you know. Like when we talk, it's it's almost a double standard. We talk about Michael Jordan being a bully. We talk about him smacking Steve Kerr, fighting Will Perdue. You know, Horace Grant has has a ton of stories. We talk about all this stuff. That's called a bad boy to me. You know, a person who wants to win at all costs and extreme, you know extreme uh, sensitivity and petty and everything. Isaiah's petty as well. You know, he walked off. I think that was kind of um, a reason to keep marginalizing him. Because, okay, he walked off. Maybe he was a hater. But who's not at that level? Who's not looking over their shoulder at someone else's contract? Um what someone else has, whether they have private planes and all this other stuff, other organizations. That's the nature of the beast. I think Isaiah is getting a little too much for that one incident. Then the Celtics walk yeah. off. Yeah. Um, that's where they so got it from. That's where they got it from, correct. But Isaiah was not liked by everyone. He, his personality, obviously, because there's a difference with competition and being competitive and on the sport, we're not friends. Like, on the court, we're not friends. After the court, you know, we can hang out. He was not friends with, he was not a nice person if they couldn't, even off the court, talk to this person. He has a sexual harassment case against him um, with the WNBA team or association. So he's not a, a nice person. I don't think he, I think he, he he's like, even when I think about the Olympics team, he said, I made the qualifications. Nobody wanted him on the team. It wasn't just Mike. Nobody wanted him on the team. He would have changed the dynamic of the whole dream team if he was on there. His personality to me is not um, trustworthy. Like, I think he has, like, other agendas. And it showed that even they walked off the court, I think it was deeper than that. It was not because... They were just like he was. He was. He just has other agendas. Even when he said, "Like if we can go back, I would change that," and that's a lie. We all know he would did the same thing. Like he's just not, yeah. in my opinion, trustworthy enough for me to be okay with. Yeah, he's. You know what? Off the court, he's a good guy. He doesn't really seem that way. Like Michael, um, Matt Johnson was his best friend. He turned when he found out he had AIDS. He totally dismissed him. Yeah, not trying to understand the condition to or even support him. He dismissed him. That shows a lot about his personality. So didn't he, say, didn't he say he was uh, gay or bisexual? Yeah, like exactly tarnishing that, right? someone. Yes, tarnishing someone's you know, image, like, what, what do you gain doing these things? So I don't think he is villainized or he is, you know, the one getting the blame. That's who he is. Like, he created this character. He created the bad boys. 
from Chicago, yeah. right? West Side. Like, Again, uh, I know that before we were saying a bit like Isaiah things, but uh, the whole team is their decision. Everyone on the Pistons team decided not to shake the Bulls' hands. So Dennis Rodman or Joe Dumars or anybody, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go over there and shake their hands as a, as, a, uh, as a sportsmanship kind of thing. But everyone decided to do that together. So that's why I say, like, was the move wrong? of the Pistons themselves because today Isaiah is the one that gets all the, you know, gets all the smoke. Um, and, uh, you know, Diane mentioned rightly that, well, maybe it's not only for that, but like, just like his, his, uh, his attitude overall, which I cannot really attest to like everything that like the man has done, but I just mean that specific instance. And that's why I warmed up with like looking at Carl Malone, knowing that his career isn't going to have that uh, championship on it again, because of the bulls. He still went above and beyond and got on the Bulls bus and shook and shook Jordan's hand. So just that instance uh, to me is like a bit petty for the whole team to just not do it. And no matter if, it, if like there's a precedence and like the, you know, the Celtics did it before. So let's just pull the same BS kind of thing. Anyway, sports, you know, sports is about sportsmanship, obviously, and uh, fair play. Uh, so I thought, yeah, I, th- I thought that was I thought that was wrong. Diane changed my opinion. Um, I think um, after hearing what she said and, and really processing, Isaiah got a he got a uh, lay in the bed that he made. You know, I mean, because I forgot about he. I mean, he might have been a little correct, but he did say Larry Bird wasn't nothing because uh, if he was a remember he said because he's white he gets a lot of a lot of he won three championships. Larry Bird won three championships, was dominant, and, and Isaiah said um, if he was black, he would be an average player, which that's not the case. So he did, he did say some politically incorrect things, and, of course, he did some things. So I agree with Diane, yeah. Um, yeah, let me tell you, the other thing that I had was, um, and this is, you know, from my coaching background, my playing background, uh, those of you who know about you know, the intricacies of basketball, that triangle offense, that triangle offense is the reason that um, the Chicago Bulls were so efficient and, and, and can, can last through the 90s. Um, I think it was pretty easy. It made, it made their jobs much easier to coexist and people to fit into roles. Yeah, and uh, uh, what was what was the um, what was the assistant coach's name that again Kraus didn't really like? Uh, I think Tex Tex something. Tex Winter. Yeah, yeah. Tex, Tex Winter. Winter. So so that so that triangle offense was like you know his idea. Then you know he and you know he and Phil Jackson worked on that. Um, which yeah, you know obviously like what works works. You know and it, uh, that worked really well for Phil, uh, not just with the Bulls, but obviously we saw later on you know with the Lakers as well. Um, so yeah. Triangle. Yeah, Kobe played. Kobe Bryant played twenty years. Twenty years, like that's unheard of, and it's because of the triangle offense. People like Steve Kerr, of course, B.J. Armstrong. I don't know. Hey, Chris, didn't Luke Longley average like fourteen a game a couple years? Uh, maybe ten. I'm not. I'm not totally sure about all of his yeah. stats, but um, he definitely. Those guys that got paid afterwards. Definitely benefited from the offense. Yeah. 
which it's almost like it could be a crutch too, because I think Jeb Bushler ended up going to Detroit when it was all said and done after they broke the team up, and he had a pretty decent payday, you know, for his stature. Mm-hmm. But you never heard of him anymore, you know, because he wasn't in that system. So it's almost like it can help you, but then it can cripple you if you go to a like a, go from a triangle to a one-four yeah. situation. It's like okay, then are you? Uh, where can you help? Right. It's like makes you like a system player, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. It do, it definitely stifles your move, movement, but it makes things. I mean, when I when I looked at it years ago, I tried to take some of it when I was coaching. Tracy, I'm not sure if you know I coached at Wilkinsburg, and um, yeah, I tried to I take. Yeah, I tried to take pieces of the of the triangle offense. My kids couldn't run it, like you know, like the Bulls or whatever. But it opens up. It creates. You get shots. You get wide open shots from it. So you put Michael Jordan in the, in the equation with Tony Kukoc, Scottie Pippen. It's a wrap. Chris, you were saying something, but it got turned off, and I was trying to kind of interested in what you were about to say. Oh, when we were talking about Isaiah. Um, yeah, John Sally tells a story about, you know, with him being from Chicago, he came home. And, you know, Isaiah used to get booed in Chicago. I mean, that's your hometown. And you're getting booed when you come home. And he got booed, you know, worse than anybody. So that has to do something to your mental as to why am I getting booed. And he was talking about, uh, John Sally said one time Isaiah came home and his nephew was wearing a Michael Jordan jersey. And he said he was pissed off. You know, your uncle's in the NBA, but you got this dude's jersey on. So, you know, any of that stuff can, you know, you can harbor some animosity for something like that, even if you don't know it. And, um, I mean, even if the rest of the people don't know it. And, I mean, I really think, um, like, Isaiah being on the dream team would have been a good thing for him. Just give him a different team outside of Detroit. You know, so he probably would have benefited from that. Because even if you go back to the All-Star games, like he and Michael Jordan had great chemistry. Mm. He threw an alley-oops to Scottie Pippen. So he could have played, and he probably would have benefited being away from lame beer and just that mentality. I really think that, you know, he did, um, you know, that whole situation did him a disservice. But I really think that even though his career was pretty much coming to the end, I think that that would have helped him more if he got a chance to play on that team because, like I said, the All-Star games, Magic's All-Star games that he used to have in the summer, you know, he got along with everybody. But, you know, when you're in Detroit, you have a certain reputation to live up to, then, you know, you just kind of fall into that role. But he did it with a smile. So it looks like, okay, man, he looks kind of devious because he's smiling the whole time he's doing it, even though he's he's vicious. Mm-hmm. But I think that he would have probably benefited being on that 92 team. And I don't think he would have been a distraction. But it was just bad timing. And, you know, that walking off the court, you know, it was really just him, Lane Beer, Rodman, and Aguirre. The yeah, rest of the team around. stayed around. Yeah, but those four, you know, Aguirre had his own issues. Lane Beer didn't like anybody. Rodman was just down for whatever. But Isaiah was the captain. And it's like, what are you going to do, bro? You know, you're the captain. You set the tone. And when he walked off, that screwed him. Wow. Yeah, like I said, he has to uh, he has to lay in that bed. 
Um, I thought he was getting the raw deal, but when you really break down everything like Diane did, hey. And then, especially with the sexual allegations, didn't he have some trouble in, uh, they said Toronto went downhill when he was there, and then the Knicks. He had some type of uh, lawsuit at, in, with the New York Knicks as well. And wasn't he in the C? He was a CBA president or something. That too. fell under that under fell him under. as well. Yeah, yeah. He's had a, he's had a, some bad stops, but he did it with a smile. So it's like, dang man, he looked like the victim. But you know, he had some he had some stuff with him. But I, but he's still my favorite point guard of all time. You know, but yeah, he just got some. Like you said, bed and nails. You gotta lay in it. Hey, the other thing that um. When we were preparing for this, uh, this, this specific show, of course, I was looking at a lot of interviews, and I heard this podcast. It's called The Odd Couple, Chris Broussard and Rob Parker. And the callers, like four or five callers, kept calling in talking about Michael Jordan doesn't care what people think about the documentary and everything. And it's, it's proven, it's clear that he does care about what people think. Like, he is very sensitive. And I thought the documentary showed his vulnerability. Do you guys agree with that? Absolutely. You can see, you can see how much, you know, how much he really cared about competing. Uh, obviously, his, um, his uh, teammates um, and, like, different teammates, I think, at different times. Um, uh, he and Scotty were the only ones that were there for all, you know, for all six all six runs, uh, but you can see he started to trust uh, various people at different times. You know, it's like Paxson, you know, he trusted at a certain point in time to, you know, uh, be able to step up and shoot certain shots uh, during the first three runs. And then you can see later on that, you know, Steve Kerr took that down in that area. And he was really emotional about those things. So uh, for sure, I, th I, think, um, I think the last dance really showed how much uh, – he appreciated the supporting cast and knew that it wasn't just him. Like, you know, he had to have a team around him. And uh, even Matty Johnson said, Matty Johnson said, that's, that's, that's a big part of the reason why, uh, you know, like after their first, their first chip, um, you know, when they beat the Lakers, uh, you know, Michael was saying that, you know, now I can finally be in the same conversation as a Larry Bird and a Magic Johnson. It's not just Michael Jordan as a, as a, uh, uh, you know, like a highlight reel, you know, I can dunk and I can shoot a bit, you know, like now I'm a, you know, now I'm a champion. Wow. Well, that's all I have as far as the recap. Uh, we covered a lot and um, thank you guys for staying on with us. And we appreciate uh, all of you guys for being here, coming back each time. Uh, and, and yeah, again, thank you, man. Like um, I just want to leave you guys with just like a couple stats just of MJ's uh, finals accolades. Um, we got to remember this man was six and zero, six and zero in the finals. No game sevens in the finals, uh, and six finals MVPs. Like that's 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 amazing stats that we're not likely to see again. Um, so uh, for people to live through that, and even if like he's a bit young, everyone here on this call still appreciates like you know like what like what Jordan was able to pull off. So that was the whole point of this show. And uh, we're really glad to have you guys on there. So, as we always say, live global and prosper. Peace.
check us out on YouTube, Global Brothers Podcast, and please subscribe and share and, you know, continue to support, you know, good yeah. content. Mr. Worldwide.